listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. I'm very glad you're able to join us again for another episode of Let the Bible Speak. Today we recommence our series of studies on Paul's letter to Timothy, that first letter. And I want to read the verses from chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. And the Word of God says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which join men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Amen. This is the word of God, and let's pray for God's blessing as we study it together today. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word that speaks to our souls, and we pray you bless the word to each and every heart today. For those who are listening in, we pray, O God, that this would be a word in season for their souls, and that you'd point us to Christ and cause us to rejoice in him. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Several times in this letter of 1 Timothy, we've noted the challenges that the church faces through the presence of false teachers. The false teachers had it all wrong. From arrogance and from ignorance, they taught the wrong things because they thought the wrong things. At the core, they thought that they could gain financially through a pretense of godliness. They thought they could make some financial gain through their affiliation with Christ and the church. Paul repeats himself when he states that godliness with contentment is great gain. The false teachers supposed in verse number 5 of our chapter that gain is godliness. But rather, Paul is teaching us here that godliness with contentment is great gain. In essence, he's repeating what he said in chapter 4 in the verse number 8, where he instructed the believers that bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. But note that the godliness involved includes this characteristic of contentment. When you think about it, that makes sense. For the godly man has the right perspective on life. The godly man and the godly woman, they love Christ more than money. The godly soul prepares for the eternal and not just lives in the temporal. They will have their affections set on things above and not on things below. They look to the then and not just the now. Thus the godly soul has the right perspective on this world and it's good and hence knows true contentment. Note that the theme of contentment continues in verse number 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. There, 
is Paul's instruction that contentment is so valuable because contentment thinks properly regarding this world and the world that is to come. Now, clearly, it is not a sin to be rich. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 11 through 16, it forms a diversion from verse number 10, but in verse 17, Paul returns to the theme of money, and he says to those that are rich, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Clearly, he's revealing to us that riches in of themselves are not sinful. He's giving words to the rich, speaking of their financial prosperity. He does not tell them to renounce their riches or to give up all their riches. Rather, he tells them not to be proud, not to be high-minded. And in a society marked by affluence, we must all remember that all that we have is of grace. It is undeserved. The danger for the rich is that they become self-reliant. The tendency is that they will trust, they will have their security in their riches and not in God. Hence Paul tells us that we must not trust in uncertain riches. The year 2020 has reminded us again of the turbulent nature of the global economy. Riches are inherently uncertain and they are also temporary. Again, we live in a very affluent area. We must understand that we have so much more than simply food and raiment. And so we must be careful that we do not come to trust in uncertain riches. We are to be generous. They, those that are rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, verse number 18. And in all this, they are to be heavenly minded laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life, verse number 19. And thus, Paul is reminding us again that whether we be rich or whether we be poor, we need to know contentment. I was once asked to preach upon the topic of discontentment in the 21st century. And having been given that title, I asked myself the question, is discontentment a modern-day problem? Is it more challenging to be content in the year 2021 than it was perhaps a hundred years earlier? Well, perhaps there is some truth in that, but it is certainly not a new sin. Mankind from the earliest times has had a foe who would seek to have people discontented and dissatisfied with their lot. The devil would not have God's people be content with what God has given. You think of the devil's temptation of Eve in the garden at the beginning. The devil comes and says to Eve, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? In other words, the devil is saying, you have all of these trees, but do not be content. God has kept one back. He's challenging Eve regarding her contentment in what God had graciously chosen to give. And now in the 21st century, the devil no longer comes in the form of a serpent, but comes in the form of television adverts, of banner ads on the internet, of billboards that are all telling us that we don't have everything that we need. The media, as they try to sell us the, later, the latest car, is suggesting to us that with this car we could know success and happiness. The movie industry is telling us that 
our marriages are not what they could be. Surely it must be time to try another. And so modern media is set to convince us that we should not be content with what we have, but rather we should be seeking something new. And so the word of God brings a fresh challenge to our minds that we would we would know what it is to be content in the year 2021. So let's study Paul's words more closely now and begin by thinking about the state of mind that knows contentment. What is true regarding the mind that is a contented mind? Well, clearly contentment is concerned with the material, uh, with the physical, with the temporal. That is certainly revealed in the Word of God when you consider some parallel texts of Scripture. Hebrews 13 verse 5 tells us, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. There, the concept of contentment dealing with the matter of the things that we have. Similarly, Paul gives a word of his own testimony in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, where he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So what you're seeing there is that in Paul's understanding of contentment, it does it does have respect to the physical, to the temporal, to the possessions that he has, whether he be abased or whether he abound. Now, there's a couple of things that we should understand regarding this. We understand here that Paul teaches that this condition of contentment is something that is learned. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It is not natural. As we live in this world... So we learn to know contentment with the things that God has given us. Furthermore, contentment is a condition that is known whether you be rich or poor. It's not simply something that the that the affluent must deal with, but even the poor must struggle with the matter of contentment. And so, particularly here, we must consider the issue of money. In verse number 9 of 1 Timothy 6 leads on from the discussion of contentment and gives warning regarding those that would desire to be rich, but they that will be rich. Indeed, verse 10 tells us, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And so as we discuss contentment, we are dealing with our reflection upon what God has given us in terms of his physical provision. The word content clearly carries the idea of sufficiency, or of having enough. It's actually translated with the word sufficient in John chapter 6 verse 7. There there's the issue of the large congregation, the 5,000 who need to be fed. And Philip says to the Lord, 200 pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them. It's not enough for them. Indeed, the word is translated enough in Matthew 25 verse 9. Paul uses the word in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things. There the word sufficiency is used. Christ indeed would speak to Paul and say, My grace is sufficient for thee. Enough. And so, to be content 
is to be satisfied. It is to understand that we have enough, we have sufficient, that God has given what given us what we need. And so Paul says, having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. That if we have food to live and clothing, that that is sufficient, that is enough for the child of God to be content. And so the state of mind that knows contentment is the state of mind that understands that God gives us what we need and God has given us enough. Now, in light of that, we must sadly reflect upon the sin of man. Because in defining the matter of contentment, it is helpful to contemplate the opposite word. Now, you might say the opposite of contentment is discontentment. But the Bible points us in a different direction. Hebrews 13 verse 5 again says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. And so the opposite of contentment is covetousness. That if we are not content, we are then guilty of coveting. That's indeed what Paul teaches here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Having said that we should be content with food and raiment, he says in verse number 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after. So there you see that the opposite of contentment is covetousness. And so uh, we must reflect then upon the language of the moral law of God. When God spoke to Moses and gave us the Ten Commandments, that Tenth Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, What is required in the Tenth Commandment? And the answer follows, The Tenth Commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition. The following question then asks, What is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? And the answer is, the Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate. And so there you see that the framers of our catechism understood there is the battle in our souls to know contentment. And it is a battle against coveting that which we do not have. And the significance of this sin is revealed when you see what coveting is. As Paul teaches in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. We are to mortify our members which are upon the earth. And one thing that we must mortify is coveting, which is idolatry. And thus, discontentment reveals a coveting heart, which reveals an idolatrous heart. Discontentment, dear listener, is idolatry. It indicates that our heart's affections are drawn towards things and not to God. How do you begin to grasp what contentment is. Well, we actually understand it. We we see it so obviously in our experience. The four-year-old child, well, she may receive a new bicycle that may be bright pink and shiny, but her discontented heart is seen almost immediately where she will say, well, I wanted the one with the shiny lights. You move from the four-year-old to the 14-year-old and perhaps they receive a, a new 
a new iPhone 11 and immediately their desire is, but I wanted an iPhone 12. And so the 24-year-old, well, they have a new car, but truth be told, it's not the car they really wanted. They wanted a different car, a better car, a faster car. You move on to the 64-year-old and they understand that they have a pension, but the pension is not what they want. Ultimately, the experience in this world is that this world is never enough. The wise man in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. He that loveth abundance with increase, this is also vanity. The two-year-old is content with being thrown up in the air. They will say, do it again, do it again. The six-year-old may be content with kicking the soccer ball in the garden. The 24-year-old may be content with owning the garden. But the millionaire, when will they know satisfaction? When they get just one more million? Life is like helium balloons and children. The helium balloons are great fun, but they are temporary, and in a few days they are deflated. And so this world allures us, believing that this world will satisfy us, that this world will give us that contented spirit. But every time we begin to feel contentment, then we struggle with wanting something more. Discontentment occurs when our heart is consumed with stuff. And when that happens, our affections are taken away from God, and hence we become guilty of idolatry. Discontentment is a real plague in our hearts. And if we are guilty of such a sin, well, then we must repent and believe the gospel. To be discontent is to break the law of God, and if we're guilty in one part, we're guilty of it all. Hence, we need Christ, we need a saviour, we need forgiveness from our sins. And we need to ask for God's help, for God's spirit to enable us to be content with all that God has given us and all that God has made us to be. It is that state of heart and mind, it is an inner reality that is worked in our souls by the Lord. If you're a believer today, I ask you, is discontentment in your heart grieving the Spirit of God? You must repent and ask for cleansing. You must ask for the Spirit of God to help you battle the sin of discontentment. If need be, deal radically, pluck out the eye that offends. If that means that you must be wise regarding your shopping habits, if that means that you must avoid watching the television advertisements, whatever it might be, pluck out the eye and seek to give your heart afresh to the Lord. Oh, the sin of this matter. And that leads to our last point of consideration today, and that is the seriousness of this matter. The problem is that temptation succumbed to leads to spiritual ruin. That's the vivid language of verse number 9, where Paul tells us that they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now is not the time to defend the truth of once saved, always saved, the warning here is that if you covet after riches, you will endanger your soul. Verse 10 tells us, The love of money is the root out of which grows many sins. The sins of Achan and Gehazi. Oh, as they coveted possessions, so it gave birth to lies and deceit. 
Nabal's discontentment led to carnal selfishness. The covering man in the parable of Luke chapter 12, building greater barns, considering his security in the things of this world, was told by God, Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. O oh, love of money can make men neglect their walk with God. A love for money will make men neglect their duty to their families, to love their wives and to love their children. A love for money will make men neglect their place in the prayer meeting. They will give themselves for this world and for these world, this world's possessions and they will neglect their responsibility to be with God. A love for money may cause men to dishonor the Sabbath day. A love for money may cause men to steal and to hate and to hurt and to murder. Well, these things are true for the rich and for the poor. And a love for money will ultimately lead to eternal damnation. A love for money will drown men in destruction and perdition. Oh, our first and great commandment is to love the Lord our God. And a love for money cannot exist along with a love for God. Only Christ will give the heart of man contentment. Hebrews chapter 13 again. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Oh, the possessions of this world, they are vain. They will never bring contentment to our never-dying eternal souls. Seeking contentment in this world will result in continual discontentment. Only the infinite, eternal God will never exhaust. Only the infinite, eternal God will provide us full and lasting satisfaction. We will never be discontent with the glorious majesty of God, wandering, pursuing, seeking to grasp his unfathomable depths. And so the gospel invitation comes afresh to your hearts today. You listening, who are in love with this world, the God of heaven tells you, O every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. God offers us satisfaction for our thirst. God offers us contentment for our hungry souls. And such satisfaction is found in a relationship with Christ and Christ alone. He came to die for our sins, including the sin of coveting. And Christ came that we would know forgiveness for these sins. And he came that we would know him to be our satisfying portion. I once heard an illustration of a young boy who is separated from his parents in a shopping mall and as he frantically searches for his parents so he gladly walks through the toy section of the department store he continues on in his journey to find his parents and he walks past another toy store he walks past a candy store all of these things have no appeal to this young boy he must find his parents and so as he walks through all of these temptations 
His heart is solely, solely fixed upon finding his mother and father. And so it is that we are lost in this world. This world's stuff will not satisfy. We are here seeking our God, seeking our heavenly father. And we find in him all that satisfies our souls. Oh, I pray, it is my earnest prayer today that as you listen to this program, that your heart will be divorced from attachment and affection to this world and that your heart will be longing to know the peace and the joy that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. I'm going to close our program in prayer now. Uh, Would you pray with me? Would you pray that God would free your heart from a love of this world? And would you pray that God would give you a deeper love for him, that you'd come to love God and his son, Jesus Christ? Well, this world is a dangerous place. It's a place that is dangerous to our hearts. And we need the help of the Lord. We need his peace. Please do get in touch. Let me know if this program has been a help to you or if I can help you in some way as you seek to find contentment in this world. Well, please let me know, get in touch, uh, use our our webpage, use our email address, and I'd love to point you to Christ Jesus afresh. Well, let us pray together. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you again for all that you've given us, all the good gifts that you've given us to enjoy. We thank you that you're a kind and a generous God. And we pray, O Lord, that you'd help us to be satisfied with all of the good things that you've given us. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us, O Lord, that we often love this world more than we love thee. Pardon our iniquities. Enable us, O Lord, to seek first your kingdom. And bless us, O Lord, with greater likeness to Christ Jesus. He who was rich became poor, and that we through his poverty might be rich. Help us to treasure those riches that are unfeeling. Help us, O Lord, to store up treasures in heaven and not to be fixated with the things of this world. And so we pray that you'd help us work in each and every one of our hearts. And above all, may our love for Jesus abound above everything else. We thank you that he is altogether lovely. We thank you, one who came to give his life a ransom for many. And we praise his name afresh today. Bless our souls, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.